Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Streaming live across the world on the interwebs at MichaelDukeShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or translator. It is the quickest, fastest, greatest, most entertaining show in the state of Alaska. I mean, that's a big, bold claim. But I'm feeling like big, bold claims today. So I'm just going to say it. That's it. It is. It's fun. It's great. It's fantastic. You wish you wish you could have more of it every day. That's what it's all about me. That's what it's all about me. <laughs> oh, good morning and welcome to the program, my friends. It is Thursday. And uh, we are diving into it today with headlines, discussions, your phone calls. And coming up in hour two, we will be visited by Tuckerman Babcock, who is the uh, fresh, shiny new candidate for Senate District D, which used to be Senate District O. I love how they just got to mix everything up. So you have no idea where you're voting or who you're voting for or what. <laughs> just. Anyway, the Upper Peninsula, and he's going to be joining us this morning in hour two to talk about his candidacy and where he sees things going uh, in the uh, in the state legislature and what he's planning on doing and how he's going to run the race and his kind of overall thoughts on what's been going on since the very beginning. Uh, so we're going to talk about, well, I mean, not like the beginning of time, but... Uh, We'll go back a little bit anyway and talk with him about that. So that's on the program today. We were going to hear today from um, another guest, but we have since moved her to Monday. We're going to talk to Elishaba Dorkins, uh, Dorkson, Dork, I, Dorks, Dork, anyway, about her new book, Out of the Wilderness. Um, she is uh, one of the 15 children of Papa Pilgrim, uh, which uh, if you followed Alaskans, kind of some of the uh, weirder, more scandalous things that have happened in the state of Alaska. She's going to talk about her story, uh, which uh, I just got the book yesterday, and uh, I've been seeing a lot of reactions online from folks on Facebook locally that are just, I mean, it's an astonishing story. So it should be a fun discussion uh, with Tuckerman today, and then on Monday we'll have kind of a, a heartfelt uh, journey with Ilashaba Dorkson and uh, we will uh, we'll we'll do that. That should be in hour two. In hour one, um, oh, excuse me. In hour one, we're going to have that conversation with her. In hour two, um, I believe we're going to be speaking with Chris By. If I'm not if I'm not mistaken, you know I can't keep track of all my stuff. I can keep track of it. Seven oh five. Chris By is going to be joining us, and uh, he is. Uh, He's going to be running for Congress, um, and uh, we're going to see what uh, we're going to see what he has to say. He's running for Don Young seat, so this, the the field for the congressional seat is uh, starting to get a little crowded out there. So we're going to have uh, a conversation with Chris By on 
Monday. So that's, uh, wow, lots of stuff going on. We're also going to uh, be talking with uh, um, tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow we're going to be talking with uh, some folks from the uh, American Suppressor uh, Association as well for Firearms Friday. Um, and we're going to get a feel on uh, what's going on with that, what's happening. They've got a, we got a big banquet going on uh, this weekend and uh, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. So that's uh, we're gonna be talking with uh, uh, Knox Williams uh, uh, about that tomorrow. So right before right before the fur Rondi thing. Okay, um, that's it. That's that's the whole shooting match. Headlines are on the horizon for this morning. So we'll talk about a few of those things, and we'll open up the phone li- Look at that. People already calling in. I hadn't even opened up the phone lines yet, and people apparently want to be heard this morning. So we're going to get to your phone calls in just a second. Don't panic. If you want to queue up, you can do so this morning. Uh, it is on the Pivotel call-in line at 907-433-3150. 907-433-3150. The big news overnight, of course, is that uh, war has started in Europe. And in fact, it is the widest-ranging all-out war since uh, the Soviet Union invaded Afghanistan in 1979. And uh, this is not in the uh, <clears throat> this is not in the eastern or in the mid east even. This is directly into Ukraine, which has been more and more as of the last few years, leaning more towards um, the western uh, kind of democratic model of uh, you know kind of self reliance and doing their thing. And they have been toying around with the idea of joining NATO, which apparently uh, President Vladimir Putin is not a fan of. And now they have. Uh, started the uh the strikes began yesterday or last night hitting cities and bases with airstrikes or shelling uh there's been reports of civilian casualties and uh reports of of course strikes on military targets across eastern and middle ukraine uh russians say oh no no we're just helping our friends who are already separatists and we were just protecting them and we're you know it's the typical russian response to those kind of things and um, Putin rattled some more sabers by um, by threatening any foreign country attempting to interfere with consequences you have never seen and chillingly referring to his country's nu- uh, nuclear arsenal as well. Uh, the headlines are all bad for that. I mean, it's just like World War three uh, is the one of the one of the drudge headlines says something like, uh, um, what does it say? Countdown to World War three. As the Russians missile blitz and an all-out attack goes on, they're calling uh, the Russian uh, Russian uh, uh, pit bulls and talking heads are calling for Kiev to uh, to uh, uh, surrender already. It's like <clears throat> surrender. Uh, meanwhile, the Ukrainian uh, the Ukrainian president has declared martial law. He's asked everybody to stay home. They're calling up reservists. They're asking every able-bodied man who can carry a rifle to step up for <clears throat> compulsory service, and uh, it looks like uh, they're going to go to war. Now, what are we going to do? Well, I don't know. Uh, apparently nothing at this point. The Security Council has met um, and to condemn this, and of course to but, – but since Russia is a permanent mem- member of the Security Council and has veto authority – 
this is all just show. It's all just politics at this point. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see where it goes from here. But I will tell you right now that uh, that's not looking good. Um, if we had been inviting them to come into NATO and uh, now we step back and just say, mm, sorry, you're on your own, sister, not only would it embolden Russia, um, it would show uh, our, any other potential NATO ally down the road or a potential ally, a potential new NATO member, that um, we we really don't care. I, I'm, I'm just torn. I'm torn on this, this whole thing. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, Putin with Russian expansionism uh, and, of course, the fact that they hold most of Western uh, Europe hostage because they provide uh, a tremendous amount of natural gas for the economies of the Western Europe, it um, it's it's uh, it's problematic to say the least. Um, Henry in the chat room just said, "Not our pig, not our farm." Well, that is true, except for that, like we're on the adjoining farm and we can see them slaughtering all the animals in the other yard. And the question is, what do we what do we what do we do? Uh, President Joe Biden mumbled through something or other other thing, and uh, you know, then went to took a nap or something. Not a whole lot. He basically said we're going to uh, we're going to impose more sanctions because the sanctions we've been imposing are doing so well to begin with, and um, that's pretty much it. New sanctions to punish Russia for the unprovoked and unjustified attack. He said he planned to speak to Americans today after a group of seven leaders meetings. Uh, more sanctions against Russia, of course, were expected to be announced. The uh, some of the members of the Russian uh, uh, or the excuse me, the Ukrainian administration, are urging global leaders to provide defense assistance to Ukraine and help protect its airspace. Um, they said the world can and must stop Putin. The time to act is now. And uh, so I don't know. The plot. The markets are down. Oil is up about eight dollars a barrel. It's over hundred dollars a barrel right now. Um, the ruble dropped. Who? I mean, I can't even predict at this point what's going to happen with any degree of certainty or anything. Not that, not that you look to me for international, uh, you know, analysis. But it's ugly. It's ugly. That's uh, you know that that's that's the bad news. Um, so that's the biggest headline that hit us this morning. Uh, we're also going to talk a little bit. We'll talk about Tuckerman, who we're going to talk with him, but we're also going to talk about his uh, jump into the race. We'll talk about uh, SB 199, SB 200. Uh, JKT, Jonathan Christ Tompkins, uh, had a little accident. Uh, we'll talk about that. And the fact that uh, some legislators uh, had taken a cue from something that I had suggested several years ago, um, and uh, they are talking about taking a building that was donated to them and converting it into housing for lawmakers. Uh, I don't know all the details of it, and even the paper is pretty vague on it, although I'm looking at who voted for and who voting, who voted against it, and um, I'm, I'm, I, don't, I don't even know how to feel about this. So we're going to talk about all this <clears throat> and see what is going on. But first, I guess we will go to the phones. Because they've been on hold, and why not? I'd love to see what you guys want to say this morning, and we'll let you help drive the bus. Fingers crossed. Everything works. I tested it this morning, but you know how that goes. We'll go over here. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Hello, caller? See, I tested it this morning, and it was working just fine. So I don't know if the caller is actually there or not, uh, or if they can actually even hear me. But we will try. 
<laughs> I did this. I I swear, I really did. I put I put it all together. I'm like, I'm going to test this because this thing has been acting wonky, and I'm going to fix it. And uh, it uh, it I don't know what's going on. Let's uh, go over here and try one more time. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? You there, caller? No. Okay. All right. Well, we'll try. We'll try that one. I got a couple more lines on hold, so we'll uh, we'll jump over here and try this on the next one. Again, if you'd like to call 907-433-3150, 907-433-3150, the Pivotel call-in line. Uh, let's go over here and see what uh, this caller has to say. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Hi, Mike. Jeff from Homer. Good morning, That's, Jeff. That was me the first one. Me oh. the second one, but couldn't oh. hear you. So. Okay. All right. Um, yeah. Listening this morning, uh, this thing going on over there in Russia you know, our president should have put sanctions on when they moved the troops on the border. Not now. He's way behind the eight ball like he is with everything. You know, these these people that we have running this country right now, I want every politician that gets voted in this fall to realize that we need to get rid of every person that worked for them, okay? And and all this wokeness, all this stuff, and, and stop the money flow that goes overseas like Fauci spending millions of dollars on research that could kill everybody on the planet. They should have been searching for answer to cancer and different disease and, and those kind of things. But no, they spent all this money. And you got to realize how evil these people are that are running our country right now. They need to be stopped. And they need to be stopped in their tracks, big time. You know, um, I know we're going to have a lot more military coming in here because we're not far from Russia. And uh, right across the water here the little pond and uh, it's a very dangerous time and you know it may very well be that Biden's legacy is going to be letting World War three start mm. now right now they should be putting their foot down uh, if it takes troops I don't care what it takes they need to go over there and straighten this mess out because it's just going to escalate and if the Chinese get involved we're in some big trouble all right there will be World War three the minute the Chinese come into this you can guarantee we're going to World War Three, right? And well, that. and and I got to, I got politicians gotta, here. Yeah, I got to wonder what's going on. I mean, there was an article in the paper the other day about a whole new squadron of F twenty twos that had landed at Elmendorf, and they were saying, "Oh, was it weather or is it posturing?" I fully see that that we will be probably bulking up our military presence in the state of Alaska since we're so close. And um, yeah, we're we're gonna have to see. I mean, if you were chief cook and bottle washer. What I mean, what's your reaction to this? I mean, I, like I said, I'm I'm kind of torn on this. I, I I don't like to see people. I don't like to see bullies. Uh, but at the same time, do we get enmeshed in this? Do we get entangled in this? Do we do we stick our finger in? What What are your thoughts? My thoughts are: if it's national security, we definitely get into it. We need to be into it. We should have been into it. But we should have been a long time ago. We're a long ways behind the eight ball right now. We should have had sanctions on these people the minute they started talking about this. We should have shut that key, that 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 Russian oil off, shut their banks down a long, long time ago. They should have been hurting enough so that they couldn't do this. We had the power to do that, but we have totally incompetency in the White House and in the people that are leading this country. He's there to lead not to command us, okay? And that's what he's been doing. He's been, he's like, he holds the Ten Commandments in his hands. He does not. Right. You know, and all these people are starting to realize, you know, these lockdowns. I said it on your show, the day that COVID started, I said, I'm not hiding under a rock, and I refuse to, to do all the stuff they say. And 
Furthermore, they're going to kill more people with lockdowns than they ever will with a disease, and that's probably the truth. Yeah. Right? And they're and they're they're messing around with DNA and all that crap. You know. All right. So it's, it's starting to get real annoying, Mike, and, and <laughs> everybody needs to be annoyed right now, and they need to be paying attention. I, I well, I would not disagree with that, my friend. All right. Well, I appreciate your thoughts on this. Thank you for calling in. We got a couple more lines on hold, but we're up against the break. We'll be back with more. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke Show continues. You're home for common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, we're in the break right now. Uh, commercial break. We got more coming up. Uh, Alaska is now the eastern front for Russia and the support from the West. I mean, that's kind of the disappointing news. I mean, anytime you start thinking about Russia, you realize how close we are. Now, granted, um, they don't have most of their military might in the east of Russia, but they have been building out all those Arctic ports and everything else. Uh, they've got more than they did during the Cold War. Ugh. I mean, yeah. Uh, let's go over to the phones and get the name and uh, location of this next caller so we can return to the radio with them to see what they have to say. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Is this me? Yes, it is you. Hey, this is CR from uh, Fairbanks. Okay, hold on the line there, CR. Well, don't don't start yet because uh, I'm going to put you back on hold. I just wanted to know who you were, and we'll be back to you here in just a minute, okay? So you will start the... uh, We'll start the next segment with you when we return to the radio. Uh, So don't go anywhere, CR. Let me uh, scroll backwards here and see what you guys have been talking about in the chat room this morning. Jimmy started it off with one of my favorite quotes. Common sense. It's amazing they call it common. It's so rare. And that's the truth, isn't it? That is absolutely the truth. We got Nick and 12th Man over on YouTube. Good morning to both of you guys. Uh, 12th Man says good morning from Fairweather Kasilov. It was actually pretty nice uh, this morning. Uh, when I went outside and uh, and looked around, it was uh, it was kind of a nice place. Everything was, you know, I mean, a little crunchy, which is better, I guess, than the wet, rainy, slushy, icy stuff. Uh, but uh, not bad overall. Um, let's see. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Now, legislatures can thank the bombing of a foreign country for financing the state. The invasion of Ukraine must have been those new revenues the legislatures were counting on. Gosh, I hope not. I mean. I I hope not. Um, we need to invite, oh, you need to invite Walter Jones on the show. He's filed against Gary Stevens. All right, so if anybody knows that uh, knows Walter, put him in contact with me. I'll see if I can track him down, but uh, we'll see if we can get Walter on board uh, to do it because we're trying to we're trying to invite all the candidates on, even the left in the middle and everybody else. That's what it is. Good morning. Uh, let's see. Prepare uh, for the Ukraine and Russia. I hope so. The branded administration is a weak and feckless hot mess. Tell me something we didn't know already. Um, after seeing how mumbling Joe handled uh, Afghanistan, Putin is probably laughing. Well, I mean, I will say that, again, feckless is a good word. Um, I think that that is a good, admirable word for what this administration has done. Um, and their handling of uh, Afghanistan probably did, in some ways, embolden the actions of Russia. 
Um, in in anyway, it's it's crazy stuff. David said incredible videos coming out of Ukraine this morning. I haven't been, I saw a lot of the still photos, but I haven't been watching the videos. Uh, I didn't have time this morning, but yeah, because uh, I mean, I found out last night at eight o'clock last night when everything broke that stuff was happening. So definitely not a uh, definitely not a good day for that. Good morning, Nick. Uh, Nick's over on YouTube. Uh, Biden has blood on his hands for over 80 million people now with Afghanistan and Ukraine. Um, um, the brand, the branded administration has moved swiftly to block Chuck E. Cheese from constructing a franchise in Moscow because yeah, I mean, I'm sure Russia was going to be a great place to do business anyway. Um, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Michael's in from, uh, YouTube as well this morning. Biden is busy banning Nickelodeon from airing SpongeBob redruns as they've been deemed offensive to 36 of 50 genders. Okay. Um, the videos have been impressive, says Jeannie. Yeah, I haven't watched the videos yet. Um, like I said, I was doing a lot of reading and some of the analysis and some of the still photos, but I didn't. I, I wasn't taking the time to watch the videos this morning as I as I got up. So I guess we'll be, I guess we'll be watching some of that stuff today to see what's going on over there. But it ain't good. Uh, let's just put it that way. It ain't good as uh, Russia starts to flex their their uh, dictatorial muscles yet again. Makes you yearn, makes you yearn for the good old days, the fall of the wall in the Soviet Union when they were in chaos and the Russian mafia was running everything. Right? I mean, that was the good old days. At this point, uh, now you got this ex KGB colonel in there doing his thing. Uh, KGB is going to KGB. That's what they're going to do. Um, all right. We're going to uh, continue on the Michael Duke show. Common sense radio. All right, continuing ahead here, getting ready to jump back into it. Talking about headlines. Tuckerman Babcock, candidate for state senate, will be joining us in hour two. Meanwhile, we're going to go back to the telephones here and start fresh. A new caller, CR, is in Fairbanks, and he wanted to uh, start off. He said he didn't even know where to start this morning. CR, what's on your mind? So... The problem that's really going on is that the American people are completely ignorant to what's going on with Russia and Ukraine. In 2014, they had elected a pro-Russian president. The Obama administration pushed him out, and they put in Lachiko that's that's pro-American and anti-Russian. Right. We are armed. We have been arming the Azov Battalion and the right brigades that are descendants from the 14th SS Waffen Division that was in Ukraine during World War II. These brigades are still Nazis. They've got their, their units insignia is, is a warped swastikas, and they still walk around Heil Hitler. But their ideology is to wipe the Russian race off the face of the earth. And that's who we are arming secretly, and the American people don't know it. We've, we've broken every agreement that we agreed when, when the Soviet Union fell that we would not come in any more eastward with NATO, but we've done it. We've stuck missiles in Poland. What did you expect Putin to do? What did you expect him to do? And now we're in, in this situation, and, we're, and people are wanting to put troops over there. 
do you know the standard of how our military is right now? They're fat and asleep. Their equipment doesn't work, and they've got no morale. So, so what are we going to do? Send, send troops into to Poland and Hungary to fight the Russians to start World War III? It's not our sphere of it's not our. It, we've got no say what's going on over there. It doesn't have anything to do with us. It doesn't affect us. And it, it wouldn't have happened if we wouldn't have been arming these people and and, and threatening them every day. Well, I mean, I, I agree with you that, you know, we, we have a bad habit of arming people who one day become enemies of the United States, you know, of popping up and propping up governments that we think are pro-U.S. and then later on turn out to be not so pro-U.S. after we poured billions and billions of dollars of military hardware into them. We have we, we, we really suck at choosing those people and, and, you know, getting the right allies in that regard. Um, you but, know, but we know who we're arming. We, we we know who we are arming right now. Right. We know their stance. We know their beliefs. J- just like uh, Christy Freeland from Canada. That's who her grandfather comes from. He's Ukrainian. He came from the 14th SS Division, and, and they and he went to Canada after the war, and we hid him over there. And now we propped her and put her in power. She's very anti-Russian. This is. Russia's not over. They're not the Soviet Union anymore. And I know you say he's ex-KGB, which he was. But did you also know that Putin was a Christian that had been in, in hiding the whole time? He kept his Christian beliefs silent because of where he was in the in the, in the Soviet Union. I had not so, heard that he so, was Christian. No, I had not. We, we are com- we are completely ignorant to anything. Most people you talk to don't even know where Ukraine is. They don't know where Donbass is. They don't know anything. But but they're all saying war 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 sanctions 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 is a pre- is, is the predecessor to war, right? We put sanctions in. The next thing we know, we go to war. We're doing the same thing we did in in, in Iraq. Remember all the weapons of mass destructions? Remember all that stuff that was never found? Sure, sure. I mean, I remember it. And here we are again. So are here you saying? Again, are you saying? Now, are you are you asserting that this is, is a? Are you oh, wait a second? Are you asserting that this is a? Uh, that this is a, a fomented false flag prelude to war, that this is what we're trying to do, that that's... This is exactly right. what this is. This is to bring our economy down, to put us in further lockdown, and to lock the American people, to destroy America. That's what this is. That's all this is. They're going to lock us down. They're, they're, they're going to take everything away from us, crash our economy. Look at the market right now. I'm sorry, but we don't get no oil out of Russia. Very, I don't think we get any oil from Russia. But our pipelines here in Alaska have run dry. Because we're not pumping no more. Right. This is designed, and everybody needs to wake up, especially here in Alaska. If anything, we should have good relations with the, with Russians. We should be trading because they want it, but but we don't want it. We want nothing. They're just evil. We need to we need to fight them. Well, they were evil, but they've learned, and they learned what how evil so communism is. But here well, we are. We're except go except except they're very they're very they're very comfortable. With dictatorial type uh, edicts and rules, I mean, we've seen what's happened with opposition in Russia and things like that. I mean, they are not pure as the driven and snow. And look at the opposition here in America. Look at January sixth; those people are sitting in prison. They've never been tried or charged. Well, the, 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 is there any difference here? I mean, I would say that there's a difference here, uh, but I mean, again, because really, look, look at the people. I can't have a job because I'm not vaccinated. No, no. I look. I'm not. Look, I'm not saying. I'm not saying they're not the same. But when people, when they disappear, people who are, uh, who are running uh, in political opposition, or they basically jail them 
for no apparent reason other than speaking out against the current regime, which, I mean, arguably, I know you're saying that the January 6th people are doing that. I mean, those were rioters, but I mean, I'm, I'm just going to yeah, say. You, you just you just named everything that the American government is presently doing right now. Okay. Well, I mean, I don't think Russia is as warm and fuzzy as you uh, uh, say that they are. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, I'm in agreement with you that we shouldn't be arming people who can later on come back to hurt us. We need to understand who we're giving money and material to. Um, but uh, And I don't know if this is all planned to do this or not. Uh, but again, Russia is not as warm and fuzzy, and they never have been as warm and fuzzy as you're purporting them to be. I mean, that's just my take on it. But I appreciate you calling in. Thank you very much. we got another call here we'll go over to. Uh, 907-433-3150, 907-433-3150, if you would like, oh, and they just dropped off. All right, so I've got, all four lines are open now, um, if you'd like to, uh, <laughs> if you'd like to, to talk. Again, uh, you know, as much as I would like to agree that probably today's Russia is not nearly as bad as the Soviet Union, um, it's still, again, dictatorial in nature. I've never heard that that Putin was a Christian hiding it all. I mean, while working for the KGB and do yeah, I mean, maybe I I'm doubtful, but maybe. Um, and we've seen that he is again the strong the strongman leader. That's the kind of leadership that he tries to provide. And you saw what happened again with uh, uh, what's his name Nemanov Nemanov, his opponent who was immediately jailed for speaking out against the state. And what they do for state-run television and everything else. I mean, maybe it's a different type of propaganda than what we see here in the U.S. Um, maybe it's more straightforward. But again, not warm and fuzzy, in my opinion. Um, all right, let's uh, go over here. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Hey, this is Nick from Soldatna. Hey, Nick. What's on your mind? Well, I notice a lot of people get a little excited and their voice raises as they go on in there because they try to get as much in as they need to. But yeah, I'm, I'm a retired machinist. I work for the oil company up here on the North Slope, and okay. I disagree with the last caller. There's still a lot of oil being pumped out of Alaska. Right. Where I mean, it goes, I don't know. Alaska not as much as it was, but, I mean, yeah, we're still pumping. I mean, half a million barrels a day is still better than – I mean, it's not the two million barrels a day, but it's still better than nothing. Right, and um, I don't know. These guys, uh, this regime, Putin and these guys, they are evil. I mean, you got to face it. They're evil. Pelosi and these people, they're, they're very uh, – I don't know what their point is trying to destroy our country because they've got theirs, their family, and all of them got their money and all that stuff. But why are they not for America? See, this is what bothers me and a lot of people. These people are destroying this country. You can't hardly even talk in public anymore without people getting uptight right now. It's just very right. strange times. Well, it is. I mean, we've been more polarized and more divided, uh, you know, it seems like in the last 10 years than we have uh, uh, at any time previous. I mean, asking why people like Pelosi and others who did get theirs, I mean, they're all, you know, most of them are multimillionaires. And you got to ask the question, why do they want to fundamentally change America? Is it the liberal guilt that has been talked about in the past that they feel, uh, you know, in their hearts, they feel bad that that they succeeded? Or is it just that they are elitists who 
believe that their their way is the best way, no matter what happens. I mean, I don't know. I don't have the answer to that. It could be any combination of those things. Uh, but you're right. I mean, we need right. to be paying attention to what's going on. Right. You see, the the queen's got COVID, right? Well, she, she's not dying from it because it's a diminishing flu. It's like all the flus that have ever come out. They always diminish. It was a deadly flu. I mean, it's killed some people that I know. But um, it's over. And this control thing and the money, uh, the money that these people are making off vaccines and future vaccines and all this stuff, is, it's just insane. It's, it's going to come to an end here. It's just a freaking flu, you know? I mean, come right. on. Right, right. Well, I mean, yeah, jumping jumping over to the COVID thing, I mean, again, I've been saying for a while that this is endemic. It's no longer a pandemic. It's endemic, and we need to address it and move on, that it's going to be cold and flu and COVID season instead of just COVID season, or just instead of cold and flu season. I've been saying that for over a year, uh, and it you know it's finally settling down, and we've reached a level where most people are either vaccinated or they've uh, had the disease, so... They uh, they've got some immunity yeah. to it, and and this is this is how, this is how we're going to roll for the foreseeable future. It's here to it's right. going to stay with us. I went I went outside. I went down south to see the grandbaby down in North Carolina and stuff like that for over a month here over Christmas and stuff like that. But I was down on Cocoa Beach <laughs> down there watching people walk down the beach by themselves with a mask on. I mean, are you kidding me? Right. Right. <laughs> No, I mean, there's some crazy stuff going on out there. That's for sure. I mean, and, you know, a lot of it is driven by fear that's generated by the media. Uh, we're fear-mongering everything these days, it seems like. I mean, you could see all the coverage uh, for most of this time has been driven by that fear. Nobody wanted to talk about the statistics and your your rate of getting sick and your rate of getting hospitalized and your rate of dying because it was all pretty darn low. Now, the thing is, is when it hits millions of people at a time, it does put stress on the medical system. But we all know that fear sells, and that's what the news media has been pumping out for the last two years um, at an even greater rate than they were previously. But we all know that fear sells. Well, the biggest fear I've got right now is when you see what's happening in Canada, it's just protesters for those truckers that are getting their bank accounts shut down. Whoa. I mean, Really? Can that happen here? We'll find out, maybe. Right, right. That's that's kind of scary. Well, I mean, we we should be paying attention to what's happening in Canada because, again, it could, like you said, it could happen here as well. Thank you for your call. I appreciate it. Uh, i got time for one more quick call. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Hi, this is Terry Lyons. I'm calling from Osceola. Hey, Tyra. Changing direction a little bit. Sure. Um. Can you hear me? Mike? I can. Go ahead. Hello. I can okay. hear you. Um, this whole thing, this whole thing with Tom Baggage texting in to the redistricting board and telling a certain person on the redistricting board how to draw the lines and change the way the um, districts are drawn and whatnot. I think there needs to be some real serious repercussions for that. Tom Baggage is on the ethics board. Do you think it's ethical that he's calling in as the sixth shadow member of the redistricting board, advising them on how to draw the new lines for redistricting? I think that's so, so wrong. And I think there needs to be penalties for him for doing that. Well, I mean, I've heard some I've heard some of the scuttlebutt. I've seen some of the commentary and some of the reporting on it. 
Uh, no surprise to anybody that there is attempted gerrymandering on one side or the other with redistricting. We've seen that in the past. Um, I don't know if there's anything ethically wrong with him, you know, with him uh, texting into somebody if they are. I mean, if they're carrying his water and just following his direction and following his orders, you know, exactly, then maybe there's a case to be made. But it's kind of a high bar at this point. I mean, and we see this. We expect this to happen with Republican members and Democratic members. We expect them that they're going to take their marching orders from somebody. That's the reason why those people are appointed from the different positions that they are to begin with. So I've seen, I mean, I've seen some outrage over it, but at the same time, it's not unexpected uh, at this point. That's just, I mean, I'm not surprised or shocked by it at that point, Terry. Well, I think we should all be surprised and shocked, and I think we need to do something about it, because that's why our state's in such a mess as it is right now. We We need to demand our legislators to be, and I know this is a reach, but honest and fair about how this is done. <laughs> they should be the wait, wait. Got totally They should be screwed ac- by the whole redistricting. Right. Thing. I mean, they should be accountable. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Terry, thank you for your call. We're out of time. We got war coming up. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Based, Free Thinking Radio. What is that? Common Sense. Regularly heard on American Radio. Okay, we're in the break right now. Uh, We'll go back through some of the comments that uh, we missed here. Um, We'll go back over here. I think some other views are be taken into consideration. Sean dropped some... uh, Sean dropped some links in the chat room, which uh, I can't see. Um, on Twitch, Goro said, uh, shouldn't the dude on the phone be more worried about global warming and his state melting? He's not staying on point. He's reaching for random arguments to try and mass push on you. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, look, we've got <clears throat> this idea that somehow this was glorifying uh, Russia as, oh, they're not the aggressors. They're only doing it defensively. Um, I think basically fails to read the lessons of history of Russian expansionism, even going back to the imperial age. I mean, that's just me. Uh, maybe I'm maybe I'm misreading that history. Uh, but again, nobody is innocent in this. Is uh, is America done those bad things? Absolutely. Are we doing some of those bad things today? I mean, this fractious going after the whole, uh, you know, the the idiot rioters on January sixth and things like that. Yeah, I mean, they're are they trying to make an example of them? Are they trying to cancel those people and and ruin their life? Yes, absolutely. We've seen that. Uh, did they do anything about that during the, some of the other riots? No, they absolutely didn't. Um, and so, yes, uh, I mean, he's right in so many ways, but so wrong in the whole ideology that says Russia is just not the aggressor here and it's all America's fault because we supported the pro-Western president and uh, the – Former SS, I mean, again, I, okay, I just, you know, I, I don't know. I don't even know what to say to that. There's a lot of hatred going on back and forth in some of those Baltic states. Um, and, uh, and, I, and I will agree that Ukrainians and Russians, most of the puppet states of the former Soviet Union are not huge fans of Russia to begin with. To say that they want all Russians dead, probably... Not a uh, 
probably not a surprise to uh, to to a lot of people out there uh, if that is the case, because again. They were not treated super well under the former Soviet Union, and they've lived in the shadow of fear. I mean, look at what happened to Georgia. I mean, look at what happened when the Soviets invaded Georgia, or the the Russians invaded Georgia. Um, It's a simple equation, honestly. Is interfering with Russian expansion into the Ukraine ultimately our responsibility and worth the risk of starting a ground war with Russian forces? Doesn't matter if we agree with it. It's risk versus reward math. And that's the kind of formula that I'm trying to read right now. Right, that's kind of the, the the numbers that I'm trying to do right now. Do we really want to get involved? Uh, I mean, it's not in our backyard, but at the same time, it does have global ramifications if we just sit back and do nothing. Uh, but are those ramifications enough to just let Russia do what it wants? Does it embolden them to later on move into other places? That's the question. The further that Russia wants to expand, the closer they grow towards NATO. I mean, eventually, yeah, they eventually they'll subsume all the buffer countries, and then what will we do? And then it's just NATO versus, you know, Warsaw Pact. Uh, it's NATO versus, you know, Russia on, you know, they're staring at each other across the DMZ at that point. So I don't know. I, I just, I don't know. It's it's troubling. It's troubling to watch. Not that we can do anything about it. And so I'm going to put about as much effort into this this morning as it deserves. And then I will go about the rest of my day and not think about it because I can only affect what I can affect here. I don't want to get too spun up about it uh, because at that point it goes back to the whole fear thing. I mean, we've been we spent the last two years fearing covid. Are we about to spend the next two years fearing World War three in uh, uh, in uh in you know in Europe with the with the Ukraine and everything is that I mean is it one fear to the next is that what we've got going on um anyway okay what else is uh what else is going on what else are we watching here um i'm just looking at some of these other headlines right now to see if there was anything else that uh, just jumped out and reached out for me. Um, see, you the, all this nation building is why we're entrenched with Islamic radicals in the Middle East. It's like we haven't learned anything. I mean, that's the thing. If people don't want to rule themselves, right, if people aren't ready to take that step, if they're comfortable with totalitarian-type regimes and everything else, then no amount of us propping them up is going to do them any good in the long run because they'll, after we leave, they'll just crumble back to their former state anyway, and it will, you know, they'll reset back to their level of comfort, which for many of these places is kind of the totalitarian model, right? The dictatorial model. Um, so no amount of money or propping up or doing up, people have got to want it. I mean, in America, we wanted it. We fought for it. We fought back. During our revolution, you can't, I mean, you can help if there's a revolution. I mean, the French helped us and everything else, but you can't, you can't prop it up. And, um, you know, that, that's, that's all I can say right now. I'd be thinking Ukraine will guerrilla warfare Russia out. Eventually the Russians will give out. I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. This country can't even decide on what proper pronouns are. Welcome back to the program. It is the Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Good morning and welcome to the show. We are continuing now. I know, no bumper music. I was busy. 
no bumper music, but we do have the phone lines open at uh, 907-433-3150 if you want to uh, uh, if you want to sound off this morning. Uh, I love what Anthony is saying. He says this country can't even decide on what proper pronouns uh, for, uh, and we 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 are not adequately prepared to voice an opinion on the world stage. That's kind of how I feel right now. I kind of feel like this. I mean, I don't even know, you know, what to say uh, at this point. The be- here's the biggest thing in my mind, and just for me, okay, this is my take on it. I'm going to worry about this this morning. We're going to talk about it. We'll see what you know you guys have to say about all the stuff going on in Ukraine and everything else. And then for the rest of the day, I'm going to put it out of my mind. Look, for the last two years, we have, um, we've, been, we've been living in fear over COVID, right, for the last two years. I mean, it's been a nonstop fear fest. It's the fear go round. I mean, we're stuck on it. It's just going round and round and round. Finally, it's starting to slope off a little bit. People are frustrated and they're getting, you know, you're seeing more and more Americans are just, uh, you know, up to here with it. And so they're they're letting go. So now will we spend now will we spend the next two years being fearful of what's going on uh, between Russia and Ukraine? Will we spend the next two years being worried that World War Three is about to drop on our heads? I, you know, at some point, you got to stop giving into the fear. There's just there's just no. You, you can't, you know, we can't control it. I can't control what's going to happen in Ukraine. I can't control what happens in Washington, D.C. I can help control what's going on in the state and in my local community and in my, my city council, my borough assembly, and my state legislature. So I think that's where I'll focus. That's, you know, that's what I think I'm going to focus on. Um, and we'll see what goes on from there. Meanwhile, here in the state of Alaska, uh, there have been some other developments. Um, I had talked about this a while ago, that part of the problem, I mean, the reason why the number two uh, charter of changes uh, uh, point is to move the legislative session out of Juneau is because it's just so damn expensive to have it there in Juneau. The lack of housing and just everything else, and the housing has actually tightened up um, even more. Uh, the legislative, uh, uh, the legislative can no. What is not legislative council? It is the um, legislative affairs agency. They keep track of the housing available in Juneau during the legislative session, and they they've been reporting that they've seen a drop in offerings. And during special sessions that take place in the summer months, it's impossible for the lawmakers to find housing. Well, my thought was. Well, instead of paying him $307 a day for food and housing, why don't you just take a building and create an apartment complex for him? And uh, that's exactly what's being discussed right now. There was a building that was donated to them. It's called the Assembly Building. It's a 24,000-square-foot building, three floors, underground parking garage. It's directly adjacent, apparently, to the Capitol Complex. And it uh, was constructed in 1932 as an apartment building, but it's used for non-governmental offices right now. It was donated to the legislature last August by the Juneau Community Foundation. And so now they're talking about converting it into a uh, 33-apartment complex, 33 apartments uh, of the apartment complex. And uh, they're saying it's going to cost about $5.5 million dollars. And it would be able to house, apparently, 33 individuals, mostly one-bedroom and efficiency units from 470 to three to 750 square feet, essentially. 
And I mean, while on the surface, it sounds like a good idea. Apparently, I don't have all the details on it, but just looking at who voted for and against it, um, I can see that there should be some more questions answered. Uh, there was a lot of um, there was there was a lot of uh, uh, questions on what the long term cost of this was going to be. That maybe it's only five point five million up front, but what's the what's the long term cost of operating and maintaining the rental units on top of the prospect of uh, potentially allowing more than thirty legis- you know lawmakers to share these dorm like buildings? I thought that Bryce Edgman's comment on why he voted against it seemed a little weak to me. I mean, it just seems like he says, we're all sort of clustered here in the building. And if you're like me, you want to get away. I don't want to be walking down the hallway and seeing everybody you just spent the entire day with. Hey, Bryce, we call that college, man. It has to happen sometimes. We call that college. Or, you know, we call that an aircraft carrier. Or, hey, we call that a forward operating base for a military thing. You just spend all day with them and you see them all day for the entire day. Wah. That was not a... That was not a valid argument in my mind when he said that. I was just like, I don't want to see people that I've seen all day. Well, okay. I mean, uh, I just, wow, okay. Um, But there was a lot of unanswered questions of what the overall cost would be uh, on uh, on this. And so a bunch of people voted against it. uh, those voting against, including Bryce Edgman, because he doesn't want to see other people, Peter Machicki, Mike Shower, Kathy Tilton, Shelley Hughes, they all voted against it. Voting in favor were Matt Clayman, Sarah Hannon, Chris Tuck, Bert Stedman, Neil Foster, Gary Stevens, Laura Reinbold, Louise Stutz, and Click Bishop. So an interesting mix of um, an interesting mix of people voting for and against it. Uh, the bottom line is is that they're going to be moving forward. Uh, they voted nine to five uh, to uh, to approve the five point five million dollar conversion plan, and I guess we'll figure out exactly how much it's going to cost in the long run down the road. I mean, that's just kind of how it is. I mean, this is a, this is something that I suggested, although not necessarily in quite the way that they have you know have put it here. But okay, I mean, I, here's the thing: I've always said. Um, I, I've always said that uh, anytime you do something like this in a government, whether it's a state or a borough or a, you know a city government, that you're going to have and you're going to assume the cost of building or you're going to build something out, there needs to be like a 10-year fiscal note on what the estimated costs of these things are going to be. There need Because I got tired of seeing that when I was on the borough assembly. Oh, we're going to do this. Okay, well, what's it going to cost us in the out years? Well, we don't have those numbers. Well, when you do, bring it back to me because I'd like to see what is it. This may be a great deal now. This isn't. A, this isn't a. I mean, it it may be a, just a fantastic deal now, but what does it mean in the future? Are we going to be? Are we going to have this millstone around our neck for the next, uh, you know, twenty or thirty years that we've committed to, and then we've sunk so much money into it we can't afford to get out of it? I don't know. I don't know. But this is uh, one of the next big things. Uh, maybe people won't be crying so hard that they can't find housing. I don't know. At least 33 of them out of the 60 will have apartments available. <laughs> we'll, we'll see if that – maybe that will be mandated by the Binding Caucus as well. Maybe you've got to be in the know to be able to get it. 
If you get kicked out of the caucus, do you get evicted from your apartment too? Asked Barbara. That's my question. Is this ruled by the same thing that gives you your staff and your offices? I mean, inquiring minds want to know. Was the beer pong gang for or against? Well, none of them are on that committee, so none of them voted for it. But, you know, I'm sure that they would be for it. I mean, it's like college all over again, right? Like I said, it's it's good. It's It's good. All right, we're out of time. Tuckerman Babcock is going to be coming up next. He's running for state senate in former District O, now District D. Yeah, he's up next. We're going to talk with him. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Yeah, you don't vote with a caucus, you're out of the street. Not only do you have a broom closet for an office, but you'll be sleeping on the streets, friend. I could just see that being a I could just see that being a thing. Can't you in the future? Oh man. I have no idea. I have no idea how much that's gonna cost in the long run, but I sure would like to know. I sure would like to know exactly how much that's gonna cost in the future, just for you know, giggles. I mean, why we can't come up with a 10-year plan? All you got to do is go back and look at the last 10 years. And if you're going to make improvements on it, on the building, to change some of the energy efficiencies or other things, you can account for that. But you could see what a building like that costs. I mean, it should be included in any discussion that uh, comes out about it. And if, they, if they're like, well, we just can't get the number. I mean, if you can't get the numbers, we got a problem. Right? Because I'm all for putting them in dormitories. I'm all for that. If it's affordable, it makes sense. And if it's less than the $307 a day that they're getting right now on the per diem, I am all for that. But it has to make sense. It has to make sense. Again, it'd be easier if you just move the whole legislative session to the uh, Anchorage or Wasilla area. Because then again, most of them could drive from their own homes and you don't even have to worry about this. I mean, that's, that's what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> parking garage bed. Yeah, it's, uh, we can't give people a decent PFD, but we can dump $5 million into legislative house. Again, just think about that. Let me just, let me just, can I do some math real quick? I've got Tucker McBabcock on the phone. I'm going to get to him here in just a second, but let's just say 60 legislators, let's just say 50 of the legislators claim per diem at $307 a day. That's $15,000 a day times 120-day session. Let's just say it's a 120-day session. That's $1.8 million a year. So if they got the building for free, they pump $5.5 million into it, and let's say it just costs them a half a million dollars a year to keep it, you know, the heat, lights, and power on or whatever. I mean, they've paid for the whole thing in just, you know, two or three years. That would make sense. If it only costs a half a million bucks a year to keep going, if it takes more, then we start having other questions. Well, that's not true because there's only 33 of them, right? So that's just over half. So times point, what, four, eight. So it'd be $800,000 a year. So, I mean, maybe it's closer to breaking even. I don't even know at this point. But uh, it would make sense if, again, in the long term, 
we can uh, you know we can we can not have to pay that 1.8 million dollars that we have to all the time. Okay, uh, what else uh, is going on? Well, we got Tuckerman Babcock on the phone. We're going to jump to him here in just a hot second. He is in the virtual green room enjoying my virtual donuts and drinking my virtual coffee. And we're going to talk with him here in just a second about his candidacy. Uh, let's see. Charlie Pierce got endorsed by the Kenai Republicans mm, for governor. That's good. Um, uh, oh, Christ, Tompkins crashed his paraglider. Dang, he and Laddie Shaw were up on flat top in Anchorage, and uh, he had gotten certified for paragliding last summer, last winter in California, and it was his first trip from the top of flat top, and he uh, went around the long way, and when he came down, he was in a bad area, and he crashed against some trees and broke his leg in two places. Ow. Um, But he's recuperating and expecting to get back to Juneau here uh, shortly. Um, Anything else? I guess there's nothing else. Nothing else here that just, it's all, I mean, all the headlines are Ukraine all the time, baby. Uh, Again, is this the new fear that we need to be sold on? I don't know. All right. uh, We're about a minute and a half, two minutes out. Let's go over to the phones real quick. Make sure we got Tuckerman on with us and we're ready to go. Good morning, my friend. How are you? Good morning. I'm fine. Good Good morning. Drinking my coffee. Just drinking your coffee. Drink that. Eat those virtual donuts. Nobody else needs them this morning. I took all the calories out for you, so you should be good to go. Um, we're going to uh, jump into this. Are you ready to uh, you ready to tackle this bulldog? Sold on. I don't know. It's out for you, so you should be good to go. Um, all right. Well, Tuckerman's listening on the uh, he's listening on the stream at the same time. All right. So make sure Tuckerman, make sure you mute that stream when we get uh, when we jump back into this here. Um, in just a moment, I can hear my, when I hear myself, it's so weird when I hear myself on delay. Uh, okay. What else? Uh, oh, all the Alaska Democrats have endorsed all the folks running for, um, um, for, uh, Anchorage assembly, (laughs) municipal assembly, Perez, Viridia, Zalatel, Dunbar, and Weddleton have all been endorsed by the Anchorage Democrats. Meanwhile, there's a whole slew of good candidates running against them. We'll see if that, uh, if they get any traction, we'll see if the Save Anchorage crowd is ready to jump in on that. Uh, they've been pretty boisterous. They got they got uh, Dave Bronson elected. Let's see if they can keep that momentum up and maybe change the tide in Anchorage. Because by golly, they they need a tide change in Anchorage. That's a hundred percent sure. Um, and what's going on in your neck of the woods? What's happening in your assemblies? Are you guys paying attention to that as well? Are you following along? Are you getting ready to file for assembly seats against some of the more progressive or left-leaning members to try and help bring the uh, uh, to try and help bring the pendulum back towards the middle where it needs to be? I mean, that's what I want to know. That's what I want to know. Pamela says in the chat room, I can see that legislative housing will end up just like the office allocation in the Capitol: broom closets for those who don't behave, and penthouses for those who sell out. <laughs> Yeah, again, move the legislative session uh, system uh, session to the road system. That's what you need to do. Just put the session on the road system. Everybody can drive. Well, you know, what is it? 60% of the legislators could then drive from their homes to, if it was in Anchorage or in Wasilla, they could drive from their homes and sleep in their own beds um, and uh, save us a whole bunch of per diem and everything else. And it would give, you know, 85 or 90% of Alaskans access to the session because it's on the road system here we go hour two the michael duke show 
Whoa, buddy. Put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. The Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Broadcasting live across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or translator and around the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com, on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitch. It is The Michael Dukes Show. Uh, we're everywhere. We're omnipresent. We're here to entertain, enlighten, uh, enlighten <laughs> and educate. That's what we're here. The three E's. Education, entertainment, and enlightenment. If we do any of those three things, we feel like we've succeeded for the day. Hour two of the big radio show today, Thursday, and we're about to dive into it with a brand spanking new candidate for U.S. Senate, Tuckerman Babcock. He's about to join us. want to remind you that tomorrow we're going to be talking with Knox Williams uh, about the American Suppressor Association on Firearms Friday and, of course, Willie Waffle as well. Uh, but uh, that's tomorrow. Let's jump on for today and see what's uh, happening with Tuckerman Babcock, brand new candidate for the newly minted Senate District D, formerly Senate District O, which is the Upper Peninsula, and he joins us right now. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning, Michael. Glad to be on. Thank you. Thanks for thanks for coming on. We got uh, we got some some good stuff uh, good stuff for today. All right, so. Look, um, folks may or may not have heard your name. Uh, you've been a political insider for a long time, but you've worked really behind the scenes. You've never held elected office, right? I mean, you ran for mayor once back in the 90s. Uh, but most of the time that you've spent has been kind of behind the scenes. Former Republican Party chair, you were uh, Governor Dunleavy's chief of staff at the beginning. You've worked as a political consultant for various causes and campaigns and organizations and, uh, and here you are. So give us a little bit of background to Tuckerman Babcock, who you are, where you are, where you came from, and then we'll, uh, we'll move on from there. All right. Well, I think the best place to start for most Alaskans is when you started in Alaska. And I, I came up in tow with my parents in 1966, and my father brought the family to Alaska in search of bigger and bigger mountains. And he was, he was quite a mountaineer. He ended up uh, founding the School of wilderness survival and mountaineering at the, at the University of Alaska and climbed Denali several times starting in 1967. In fact, he named me Tuckerman after the first mountain he ever climbed, Tuckerman's Ravine on Mount Washington. And we uh, lived a, a life of being dragged off on adventures in South America and throughout Alaska, including crossing the Harding Ice Field and crossing the Brooks Range and just endless, endless hikes. It was a every weekend thing and sometimes we'd say to our friends we'd rather stay home and play or watch television <laughs> they would just be you your dad wants to go camping and climbing yeah but it's every weekend right but uh that that was a great start to alaska and then i grew up in anchorage lived in ketchikan and bethel and indian and wasilla and then uh 
down here on the Kenai the last 12 years. And it's just been a great experience growing up here. My wife, Christy, and I have uh, eight children between us and 14 grandchildren, with one more on the way in May, and they're all six and under. So it's a it's a huge and wonderful job being a grandfather, a baba, to those uh, 14 wonderful children. And they, uh, as I got involved, I went to a high school called Stellar in Anchorage. It was a self-motivated program, and uh, I really didn't do well in the regimented public school system. I did, I did much better in the self-motivated system at Stellar, and uh, it learned, learned there about history, our Constitution. I was fascinated by the whole experiment in self-government, which actually is pretty darn rare in human history. And it doesn't just happen by accident. It happens because people, and you've said this so many times on your radio program, you've got to get involved and step forward. Right. And for the last 40 years, you mentioned working so much behind the scenes. It's true. I, I've spent, it's almost a mission field for me just to help people who might be interested understand how the process works, whether it's for school board or city councils or boroughs or the state legislature, occasionally for the for the federal offices, but mostly focused on Alaska. And it's just been a, a mission of mine and a passion to encourage people to step into the arena and get involved and help make this great experiment of self-government work. And my goal in doing that is motivated out of principle that the footprint of government needs to be as small as humanly possible. Right, right. And there's just bureaucracy. People in bureaucracy, try, most of them try to do their best, but bureaucracy itself, by its nature, is a sluggish, slow, unfeeling, and uh, lacks all innovation. It's just the nature of bureaucracy. And there was a great book that affected me in college by Ludwig von Mises called Bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it really laid it out beautifully. Oh, yeah. He does a fantastic job. Um, I mean, and, 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 and this is what I think I, I have another question that I'm going to ask, but you, I, you've spurred me to ask another one because uh, people ask me all the time, uh, it, you know, Mike, why don't you just run for the Senate? Why don't you just do this? Why don't you do that? Because and I looked at him and say, look, I, I, I've been in public office. Um, and for me, it was almost the ultimate exercise in frustration and futility, because, again, I was one conservative member amongst many people. I mean, I was always outnumbered. Uh, I felt like they should have called me Dr. No because I voted no on everything just because I felt it was the only way that I could survive, you know, intact with my pride and and my principles intact. Uh, But I often tell people, I said, because I feel like I can do more good where I'm at as a radio show host, which I wouldn't be able to do if I was in the legislature. um, And I feel like I can make a bigger difference here. Is that similar to what, you know, is why you were working behind the scenes versus going out in front and actually running for office? Yes, it is. And it's, it also, as, as you know, having run for office, there's a whole series of being in public and being uh, constantly, when you want to be motivated out of principle, being in office is a very difficult position because you're only one of 11 or one of 60, and you have to learn to maintain your principles and compromise enough to accomplish what's possible. And it's that judgment call as to what's possible and how far you can push the other side and how good you are at cajoling, convincing, and encouraging other people to stand forward or be stronger. And one of the things I always try to tell candidates when they're running, two things. One is, 
whatever you choose to campaign, no one's going to tell you what you have to campaign on. So whatever you choose to campaign on, follow through, be honest about what you said. Right. And secondly, and secondly, when you're, when you're there, tell the people truthfully what you're doing and why, but you, you may have to make some compromises to accomplish things. And that's, right. that's the reality of the political arena. It's really frustrating. I've got some members of my family who are much more uh, purist in their conservative politics, and they, they can't e- imagine uh, they making those kind of compromises to move forward. But it's, sometimes it's essential, and uh, I'm not talking about sacrificing principle. I, in fact, I would end up, in most cases, voting no, even if I've worked to get a compromise to move forward, because I want to stand strong on the principle of it. Right. Well, that leads me to uh, my next question, and this is the question that I ask you know, every new candidate for office who've never actually held an office before. I mean, what, what, why now? I mean, if you've been doing, you know, and you've been making these moves behind the scenes and you feel like that's where your power is, what, when exactly did you lose your mind? When exactly did you just, <laughs> what was the final straw to say, I can't stand in the background, we're, we're, you know, working from the background anymore. I've got to step up. Well, it's, it, it's a couple of, a couple of things. One, one is that the, I enjoy working with the governor and I enjoy his, uh, enjoyed his uh, campaign in 2018. And I want to work with him and encourage him to be as conservative as possible and to work with him on the initiatives. He's really focused on uh, focusing on Alaska's uh, independence and food independence. These are, those are important issues, but really more important than that is the ability to have a frank conversation and a trusted conversation with him and with other legislators. I've spent so many years behind the scenes. I've never really been part of the insider group in the sense of the special interests. I've, I've never, I was a lobbyist uh, just for Matanuska Electric Association, not just as a member of their management. That's never been that kind of maneuvering is not what I've done. It's mainly been encouraging people to run and get in office. And, and uh, so that, and I watched the Senate and multiple, multiple, special sessions with nothing getting done. Right. It's a waste of money. It's frustrating for everyone. It exhausts them. It's bitter. And it's terrible for the public because they have all these hearings and people call and they spend time out of their lives to go testify and participate and then nothing gets resolved. And it's it's extremely frustrating and I don't think it's healthy for the democ- our republic. And so I would I have focused on bringing people together, talking it through. I mean, being chairman of the Oscar Republican Party uh, is a group of 80 people who are not like-minded, except that they're all Republicans. And the, the infighting is, you've mentioned it many times, eating our own, infighting. Right. It's just endemic. But right. what I did as chairman was I let, I didn't have any preconceived notions of the outcome. What I did was let everyone who wanted to speak, speak, let the debate take place, and call for the vote, and when we voted, we moved on to the next issue. It, was, it, it really melt, empowered everybody. It let the process work. You didn't lock things up in little special committees. We didn't avoid taking votes on difficult issues. Um, we moved forward and had the debate, let everyone have their say, and it really built, built a strong team. And I think that can happen in the Senate as well. It goes toward, toward a, a new way of dealing in the Senate, and that would be, of course, letting everyone have their say take your hearings and then take your votes and move on. Right, right. Actually voting on things uh, on the floor, letting them out of the committee. 
Uh, Tuckerman Babcock is our guest. He's running for uh, Senate District D, which is actually right now Senate District O, uh, which is held by uh, Peter Machicki. And uh, he's running in that race. Bef- uh, you just mentioned a minute ago, and I got about uh, three and a half minutes here before we got to go to break. But you just mentioned that uh, you know you encourage candidates that whatever issue they decide to run on, they need to be honest, they need to be pure about it, and they need to you know have that I guess stick to itness is what I came out of uh, your comment with. So, what issue are you running on? I mean, is there a specific issue, Tuckerman, that you're running on to say this is this is what's got to get done above all else? Well, ever since Governor Walker uh, started messing around with a permanent fund dividend and just, and starting to erode and destroy the 30-year experiment in dividends coming from our royalty. And it's it's one of these things that you've discussed a lot on the program and others have, but it's, of course, simple that we're one of the only states in the, in the United States where the owners of the oil don't get the royalty payment. The royalty payment goes straight to the state government, and under Governor Hammond, they determined that of a portion that was going to be saved, 25 or 50% of that would be, of the realized earnings would be distributed as a dividend to the actual owners of the oil, the Alaskans. Right. It was a novel program, a wonderful program. People never complained if the dividend was $300 or $1,000. It was whatever it was based on a formula. And it worked, it worked like a charm for years. And the legislature once tried to go after it in 1999. I got involved as a volunteer chairman of Save the Dividend Matsu, and we beat the special interest then with an 83% vote. No, don't mess with the dividend. And then in 2016, Bill Walker started messing with the dividend. And what that led to was just capricious and arbitrary dealing with whatever the dividend should be and having it completely untethered from statute, formula. It's a terrible, been a terrible uh, development, and it's distracted the legislature. In a, in a way that is very unhealthy for building the economy and focusing on education reform. Everything else that we want, to, we want the government to even consider looking at, uh, <laughs> it just gets lost in the shuffle when you're focused on the dividend. And we have a statutory formula. It works beautifully. And if that's going to be changed, it should only be changed by the legislature with a law, and it should go to the people for an advisory vote. It affects every Alaskan. Right. Absolutely. So the dividend is your uh, is your uh, your your issue, uh, and I'm happy to see that because I think that that's an important uh, important one. Uh, and we saw, you know, and yet we saw the governor run on the same thing. And I want to get back to this here in just a minute, so don't go anywhere. Uh, we're going to continue on that topic here with Tuckerman Babcock, candidate for state senate, the Upper Kenai Peninsula, and District D, what is currently District O. And we're going to continue with him here in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke Show continues. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We're broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, we're in the break right now with uh, Tuckerman Babcock. Uh, We're talking about that. Rick in the chat room says, distracted is an understatement. And I mean, literally, 
this topic since 2015 has sucked up all the oxygen in the I think we have had more special sessions in the last five years than probably all of the previous 30 or 40 years of the legislature combined. I mean, it is literally done nothing but, uh, again, suck up all the oxygen and stop all other discussion in the legislature since uh, since Bill Walker took that first step. That's right. That's right. And it and it is a it's been there's really no justification for it other than it's a pot of money that the legislature wants to go after. Well, and and I've said this for years, uh, even back to 1999. I mean, I remember that fight. I was in Fairbanks, and we were fighting back strong against that. And uh, I mean, Alaskans spoke very loudly, as you mentioned. Eighty-three percent said not only no, but hell no. And if you looked at it, what was always astonishing to me was that the anti side, the anti touch the PFD side. They only raised something like just over half a million bucks. I think it was close to six hundred thousand, and they were outraised like five, six, seven to to one on that. The other side spent millions trying to get a hold of the people. Oh, I remember full page. Yeah, ads, full television. page ads, television, radio. I mean, it was everywhere, and they were trying their darndest to uh, to get that done. And of course, that was a POMV thing. That was really what that was about: was getting the POMV in, and that would have cut the dividends down. Uh, because of that, it would essentially have been a, a, PO, a, a POMV 50-50 split, and it was defeated, and yet they later on go out there, and in fact, your opponent um, was touting the fact they did the selfie victory lap where they all went around patting themselves on the back for getting SB 26 passed uh, when the POMV formula was uh, put in place, and that contributed to this whole mess to begin with. Yeah, they layering the percent of market value uh, way of, Deciding how much money from the from the permanent fund is available, layered over the previous statute, that didn't accomplish a good result for either side. It was just a mess, and it, need, it needs to be straightened out. I really appreciate that the governor, when he introduced the dividend, he tried to follow both statutes, which left very little money for government from the earnings right, permanent fund. Right. Right. Well, and I think it's uh, I mean, I think it's it's amazing to watch it. We're seeing these things come back again full circle. I've said it for years that legislators, uh, what the ultimate end goal, in my opinion, for many of these legislators is that they want to get their hands on the corpus. And that's essentially what they are able to do now through their draw, even though they've say they've limited themselves to five percent, it only takes a it only takes a a, a bigger vote to go beyond that and reach into the corpus of the fund. And I I mean, I'm seriously troubled about that because, again, politicians have never seen a dollar that they didn't like to spend. Well, that was the, the protective ring around the corpus that Governor Hammond envisioned, inspiring Alaskans to become once once they got used to the dividend. And to have us un, unconnect the dividend from the, the value of the corpus allows for what, you're, what you fear to happen. And it, it can happen in so many ways. You know what? You can write. Certainly, the corpus is supposed to be protected by the Constitution, but can, is there a specific prohibition against borrowing against the corpus? Is there a specific prohibition against using the corpus to invest in all what we want to do with general obligation bonds, and then the state would pay the permanent fund back? There are lots of ways, once you crack that egg, to, to uh, fry it, scramble it, and and dice it. Well, because we've seen how good they've been at following their word and paying back. I mean, the, the CBR, They, I mean, the, the CBR is owed $10 billion plus. And that's, a great, that's a great example. <laughs> and, and also the 
strong prohibition against dedicated funds in our Constitution. The, the judges were just able to say, well, not, not not if you say it's not a dedicated fund, then it's not. Right, exactly. If you say it's designated, there's a difference between designated and dedicated. I'll tell you right now. There's a world of difference between those two things, says the judge. Uh, all right, hold on, Tuckerman. We're going to jump back into this. Don't go anywhere. Uh, the Michael Duke Show Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Folks, like and share this video, if you would. Let's get more Alaskans involved. Share it to your home pages and uh, like and follow uh, the show page on Facebook. If you're watching on YouTube, hit the subscribe button and ring the bell to get notifications when we go live. And hit follow on Twitch while you're there. There we go. All right, here we go. Jumping back in. All right, we're continuing now with Tuckerman Babcock, uh, who is a candidate for state senate in District D, the new District D, which is formerly District O, which is the Upper Kenai Peninsula, currently a seat that uh, uh, is being held by Peter Michiki. Um, And before the break, we were just talking about his issue that he's running on, and that, of course, is fixing this PFD problem, taking it off the table. Um, And so let's dive into that a little bit here um, and, uh, and figure out what exactly your suggestion is uh, to do so. I mean, how do we get this that we were just talking about the PFD uh, issue, basically sucking up all the oxygen and and becoming the debating point that nobody really wants to face. Nobody wants to put it out on the floor for a vote, a straight vote. They certainly don't want to put it out in front of the people because, again, as you alluded to, the 99 vote, 83% of Alaskans said no. And I think it would probably be close to that again if it was put in front of the people again. Um, so what is the solution? Is it constitutionalizing it? Is it changing the formula? What 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 is Tuckerman Babcock's idea of uh, you know of fixing that PFD problem that we've had for the last six years? Well, the first thing we the first thing we have to do is encourage people who support the statutory formula to file for office and run for office. There's very on the Republican side, it's very divided as to those who support the statutory formula and those who are opposed to it. On the Democrat side, there are just a handful of Democrats that support the statutory formula. Almost all of them oppose it. And so that's the first, because you can only do what you can do with a team that's elected. And, right. And so that's, for, for Alaskans, for your listeners, find out who your legislator is, where they stand on that statutory dividend, and work to find someone to run against them if they're not on your side on that on that issue. And if we can get the right enough people, which it came so close, it's 21, 21 to 19 in the House and 10 to 10 in the Senate, so we're very close to being able to, to uh, at least in the short term, fund the statutory PFD. Right. Long term, you know, it would all depend on who gets elected as long as the statute, and we've learned they can ignore the statute. So Getting it into the Constitution or getting a requirement that the public vote on any changes, those are two steps, if we have enough people, that I'd like to see accomplished. I mean, that's one of the big complaints that's gone on. I mean, when Governor uh, Dunleavy uh, put forward his uh, his uh, uh, his bill as SB6 or whatever it was that, that constitutionalized everything, it offered a 50-50 uh, you know, kind of compromise on it and everything else. And people said, well, wait, I mean, you've run on this platform of a full PFD, a statutory PFD, and back PFD pay. 
Uh, and yet every legislator that we get in here says, well, you know, I may be for a full statutory PFD, but there's just no political will to get it done. So, I mean, is that bashing our heads against the wall or, I mean, is it is it as simple as replacing some of the players that are standing in the way? Well, we came close this last session. It, like I said, it was 10 to 10 and 21 to 19. I think that, those are the votes. And that that's very close margin. And the governor strongly supports funding the statutory PFD. Uh, and that's he campaigned on that. And he also realizes the legislature is made up of who it's made up of. And he hasn't been able to, to get the legislature to fund a full PFD since his election. I know it's greatly frustrating. And I know that uh, down here on the peninsula, we're particularly frustrated about it. It's certainly not the only issue that's important to me, but it's it's one that has been near and dear to my heart for for decades, and it's uh, something I I have no problem arguing with people about. About we are the owners; we deserve. For goodness' sake, we're only getting half the earnings off of 25 percent of the constitutionally required deposit of the royalty. The other 75, and sometimes it's been 50 percent of the royalty, it just gets spent right away by government. Not only right. do they want the 50% or 75% of the royalty, plus all the taxes off the oil we own, now they want to take most of, if not all, of the earnings of the 25% we saved. Sure. Well, I mean, again, it's the easiest pot of money to grab a hold of. That's the thing. It's easy to do. Once it was once it was moved by Walker out of that kind of that uh, area of a designated fund and it moved to a general fund issue, then, uh, then yeah, then it became, a, it became a no-brainer because that was the easiest pot of money to get access to. Uh, well, at the, it, at that point, and it, and it's all part of of my general philosophy that that people should have the maximum amount of freedom to run their own lives, control their own lives, be responsible for their own lives, and and it's just it just uh, galls me that so many people argue well they can't handle the money or it's too much money or it brings in the wrong kind of people. It's all about representing the people and i don't agree with everything and every lifestyle or choice that everybody anyone might make i have two very very liberal sisters i love them and they make choices very different than i make but that doesn't change the fact that we're all part of a family or part of a community or part of the state but one size fits all mandated by government is such the wrong direction to go and the other issue besides the permanent fund is the whole issue of mandates and vaccines and freedom and actually following real science and not overreacting. Right. And all, all of that has driven me at this time to put my name forward because we need to put a better system in place to avoid the kind of dr- option for draconian lack, uh, lockdowns that Anchorage and Juno have, have experienced. Right. Well, before we move into COVID, let's finish up. I, I do want to finish because you've mentioned these votes. I mean, 21 and 19 and the 10 and 10. Um, changing the players, obviously, uh, as you know, far to the charter of changes goes, and I know you've you've watched the show for a while, so you're probably familiar with the charter of changes. Uh, you know, changing out the players is the number one thing on there because I think you can't keep sending the same people back over and over again and expecting different results. And you mentioned this 19 and 21 and this 10 and 10 vote in the Senate, 10 and 10, and we know that your opponent at that point who had. Um, who had uh, signed on to Clem Tillian's, uh, you know, PFD, you know, ch- uh, compact and everything else. He was the one, he was the vote 10 to 10. It was, he voted against a full PFD and later voted for the full 50-50 and told, uh, told us and the listeners here one question about it that, uh, well, because he didn't want to get people's hopes up uh, that, that they may get a full PFD. Uh, but I think it would have sounded strong. I mean, if you had had that vote in front of you, where would Tuckerman Babcock have fallen on that vote? 
Well, that vote would have been 11-9, absolutely. So I mean, I think, again, changing the players is the important part here. Um, and, and here's the thing. Uh, once we get the PFD issue settled, and, I mean, hypothetically we get it settled, then we could move on to fixing what's fundamentally wrong in the state. Um, we keep hearing, Tuckerman, that uh, what we have in this state is that we have a revenue problem. And we've heard that. <clears throat> I mean, I've heard that since 1999 that we just have a revenue problem in this state. And I've said, no, no, you're framing it wrong. It's a spending problem. We've got enough revenue, especially on a per capita spending basis for what we spend and everything else. We're doing okay. We just have a spending problem. Uh, but now we've we've lived in this lie so long of a revenue problem that now we actually do have a revenue problem with a spending problem on top of it. What's your take on that? <laughs> my, my take is that I've seen a lot of roller coasters since the 1970s in Alaska's budget. And you know, you never know when the next big oil field might might get developed if uh, Joe Biden's presidency ends and a, a strong Republican is elected who supports the Henwar development and that goes forward. Who knows how much oil is there? If we can reverse the Ambler Mine decision, that road not being built, who knows how much those rare earth minerals can bring into the state uh, treasury? Who knows how much uh, we could get if we would build a, the Susitna Dam or a pipeline that brought natural gas and provided the cheap energy that's necessary for different kinds of industrial and technological development. There, there, it's hard to make those kind of long-term financial predictions. But from as a conservative, looking at and and as a freedom-loving uh, person, every it's just if we approach government from should it be doing this at all? Should we be funding this? Are we too I mean, when I started, there wasn't even any Department of Environmental Conservation. It didn't even exist. And so there, we've added things to it. How much has the Department of Education grown? What do they subsidize now? Uh, those are the kinds of tough questions that the governor in his first budget actually dealt with and, and took with the help of Donna Ardwin, who was just absolutely brilliant. And I I was so impressed with uh, with her skill and her knowledge. And she was able to take the complexity, the hiding, the many shades and curtains that were drawn over the state budget, exposed it all, proposed for the governor at his instruction, you know, a truly balanced budget based on the income available. And then the governor combined that with some constitutional amendments for a long-term plan. And it ran into the kind of uh, buzzsaw opposition, as you might expect, but at least it created a picture, a point in time for what we actually can afford in this state. Right. We can't get there overnight. We can't get there on the first day. But that's the direction we need to head. Well, and I think <clears throat> that's a prime example here of, uh, you know, uh, you know, kind of doing the right thing and then getting slapped down so hard that, uh, you know, you, you blink. I mean, and I think that's the governor's – well, it's one of the governor's problems, I think, is that he blinked in that situation uh, when he should have stood strong and said, well, this is the reality. I mean, I know you guys are all upset about it, and I know you want to recall me and everything else, but this is the reality. We have to face that reality, Tuckerman, or it's just going to get worse as we move forward. Uh, if we don't face the reality that we are up against this, we will lose the PFD, it will be totally gone, and we will be facing uh, some form of new revenue in the form of an income tax or a sales tax or something else that will just continue to spiral out of control because we've never acknowledged the fact that we have a spending problem in this state. And you're making a great point, and it can, it can go. The, I, I talk positively about different developments that could take place, and we can also talk negatively about continuing decline in oil production or the Amber Road never getting built or Tongass never being harvested. 
or the pipeline never being built. And then, then the pressure, and there's no way for a lot, the income in Alaska to fund the government we have from individual income. We could not do what New York does and have a high income tax and a high sales tax and pay for this government. It is just way beyond anything of reason. And it is so misleading to keep t- telling Alaskans that we can afford the level of government that we've got. And uh, we have, you know, our, our local, uh, I really am a friend and uh, get along well with the governor and wish him the best. And our local mayor, who's also running for governor, he's done a very good job at, at the Kenai Borough of holding the line, keeping taxes down. And I just loved it when he just said, we're open, we're open for business, we're open for visits. When Anchorage was shutting everything down, uh, he kept the Kenai open. And of course, uh, uh, Matt Supero kept open too, and it was that was just uh, I was glad to be part of that that borough. Well, yeah, I mean it, that's uh, exactly you know exactly what we need to do. We need to address these issues not from a form not from a uh, basis of fear, but of uh, you know faith and and uh, of understanding and understanding of human nature. You can't just shut down the whole uh, state economy or even large communities like that. I mean, I had to laugh at the number of people that were driving out of Anchorage on a Friday night to go eat dinner in Wasilla. I couldn't get a seat at us at a restaurant in Wasilla because all the Anchorage people were coming out. I mean, you could see that business was going where it was invited. You know, we needed to be able to do that. So we need to understand those things. Um, but let's just say final question for this segment, uh, you know, again, going back to saying, you know, these people are entrenched and they don't believe that there's a spending problem. They believe that they know better than you how to spend your money. Uh, they've disdained Alaskans. Uh, I mean, whether it was this last comment from uh, Bert Stedman who said that, you know, we're all on LSD and in fantasy land if we think we can stop or cut the spending, or Andy Josephson after four hours of testimony that was 90-plus percent uh, in favor of a statutory PFD and against what they were trying to do, telling people that they just didn't understand the real problem and that, that the legislators, through some kind of omnipotence, did – uh, it's that kind of disdain. If you have to go to a legislature and nobody changes but you, how do you fight that? Well, if that's if it in, if if that's the scenario, and I'm a lone voice, then I can be a Ron Paul as he was in the U.S. Congress. You can stand up, make your argument, and start from scratch and build. I mean, it's uh, Ronald Reagan's great speech for Barry Goldwater in 1964. It he uh, set the stage for his nomination in 1976. I mean, the effort to be nominated and his eventual victory in 1980, yeah, it took him a long time. It didn't happen overnight, but it, it is worth the battle, folks. It's worth the battle to trust people. It's worth the battle to trust our Constitution, the federal Constitution. Let's talk about the state Constitution a little bit later. It's a different matter. And to trust the system of self-government and keep the footprint of government as small as humanly possible. Uh, Tuckerman Babcock is our guest, uh, candidate for state senate in District D, which that's the new District D, which is formerly District O, the Upper Kenai Peninsula. We're going to continue with him here in just a moment. We'll be back with more. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke Show continues. One final segment ahead with Tuckerman Babcock. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. 
Okay, we're in the break right now with Tucker McBabcock. Uh, we like to change gears a little bit so we don't repeat ourselves too much. I still I want to talk about the Constitution and the CONCON, and I want to talk about the Fiscal Policy Working Group with Tuckerman, but we're going to save those for when we return to the radio. So let's get a little bit more slice of life here. Um, what was what, what was the reaction from all your friends and family that know Tuckerman Babcock when you said, I think I'm going to run for Senate? Uh, well, <laughs> My my children are they're proud of me and they're think I'll do a good job, but I can't say they're that excited about it. They they when I became uh, chief of staff with the governor it was a year of of uh, being like on a whaling voyage. I barely was able to have any time to communicate with my family, except for my wife. I kept we kept that going just fine, but the rest of it had to be put pretty much on hold, Michael. It's just the demands of that kind of job, and I told them that that. In this public service, it's not going to be that dramatic. But uh, with all the little grandchildren we've got, six and under, it's it's a precious time in their lives, and I I love that job. And this is a but there are some big issues. That the constitutional conventions won. If Alaskans vote yes, which I certainly intend to vote yes, uh, then we're going to need a legislature in place that makes sure that the delegates are elected fairly and that it's set up to succeed. And I'm not sure the current legislature would do that very, uh, very uh, reluctantly. So I would like to be part of making that happen in a positive and optimistic way. And then obviously we're just on the cusp of solving the permanent fund dividend issue. And we've got to make sure that the next round of pandemics or emergencies are uh, designed in a way that we, it's almost impossible to have vaccine mandates and that kind of extreme right. response. Right. Well, let's talk for a second about the responses overall. I mean, I think, you know, overall, the governor did a pretty good job of trying to rein a lot of that in. There were still a few things that I disagreed with. Obviously, the cities, uh, Anchorage and and Juneau specifically, uh, had some of the more strident approaches to it and I think wrong-headed approaches to it. Um, why don't you, you know, in your mind, rate what we're talking about here with the, with the different approaches uh, as the pandemic progressed? What's your overall thoughts on how it was handled by the state? I think the governor did an admirable job of taking it very seriously that first month. And when we didn't really know what its contagious or the uh, fatality rate was going to going to be and for whom. And then he started backing off uh, the lockdown, state lockdown requirements, state mask requirements, state man, and never went to a state mandate. But uh, the doctors think, unfortunately, being, being a, there by his side, her recommendation so just, I don't want to use the word slavishly, but I guess I will, slavishly followed anything Fauci had to say that she lost credibility with me. And I, I was disappointed that she wasn't replaced and someone who mirrors the governor's position appointed as the chief medical officer. But that goes to, even though I'm a friend of the governor and I support him on almost all his policies, the it doesn't mean I can't disagree. It doesn't mean that you can't have a strong or court disagreement and still be cordial. And that's something I do bring to the table in the legislature. I have, I went to high school. One of my best friends in high school was Tom Baggage. Right. And now he's, you know, he's very liberal. I'm much more conservative, but in Alaska, it really helps to be able to have a conversation and to have a level of trust that everything you say isn't going to be, we're not going to run off and announce it on the Michael Duke show. Well, I mean, let's, let's face it. I mean, we've come to that point in society today where we are so polarized in so many ways that 
it's almost anathema to be able to disagree with somebody and still be cordial. It, it, it almost has to be an us versus them. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that if you disagree with me, then you are the enemy. It's not that you just hold a different opinion and we can agree to disagree. It is you are the enemy, so I must attack, attack, attack. Right. And that's that's part of the nature of the, of the political arena, and it's part of the nature of the increasing impact of the far-left philosophy, which that's part of their strategy is to make every aspect of our life political and then to make it a describe it in the terms of good and evil. And it's it's very difficult. And as the, as the hard left grows in, it, in the institutions in America and grows in the number of political leaders, like a Forrest Dunbar in Anchorage, it makes it very difficult to uh, for the health of our republic long term. It really, really is unnerving. It does make it difficult. Uh, Matt in the chat room says the governor did a great job. Is that what executive orders, shutdowns under threats and fines and imprisonments are? He's he's questioning whether the government governor did a great job in that regard. I mean, would you again not you're not running for governor, but if you had had a hand in that, would that have been your suggestion? Well, I would have I would have suggest I uh, first of all to go back and I want to talk about two things. One, my effort in this campaign is to introduce myself, my philosophy, and what I would do going forward. It does help for context to talk about how I might have done in this situation or like I did with the vote on the statutory PFD. But for the most part, I'm just going to hope that Senator Machicki does the best job he can and accomplishes the things he promised to do by right. whatever mechanism he can. And on June 1st, it, it, who if he's an opponent, we'll do a lot of comparison and contrast. At okay. That point. All right. We'll hold the line here. Uh, we're going to jump back into it. Like and share this video. Subscribe. Ring the bell. Do it all. Like and follow the show page, The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Okay, one final segment now. Continuing, Tuckerman Babcock is our guest. Uh, he is a newly minted candidate for state senate in District D, which is the Upper Peninsula. That's the new district number, the uh, letter. The old one was District O. And we're coming back into it here, and we're going to try and uh, see if we can get two more topics in. Uh, I want to talk about, you mentioned talking about the state constitution. I want to talk about the CONCON. Uh, it's not been wholeheartedly embraced on the program. I still am a little leery of it because I understand that opening up the Constitution at a constitutional convention, while it could be a way to put in things like the con- the uh, the PFD statute and some other things, it could also open it up for many other issues, and I'm a little concerned about it. You said earlier that you would fully support that. Uh, what do you say to people like me who are a little concerned about outside interests who obviously can pour money into Alaska like a cheap date and get their way? <laughs> I mean, what, 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 uh, you know, what, what do you say to that? You do have a way with words. Hey, <laughs> well, I, I, the, I'd say one, two things. One is the people who framed the Constitution knew that there might be deadlocks and in, and things that developed that it no longer functioned the way it was supposed to, or for our current situation. And that's why, instead of just relying on the legislature, they put in a, every 10 years the people get to vote directly on whether to hold a constitutional convention. So it's not, it wasn't something that the people who designed that constitution were fearful of, and they put it in there intentionally to let the people directly uh, 
get back and redraft the thing. And I, I tend to trust the people. And if people vote yes on this, I think the people who run for delegate, outside interests, special interests, they can try all they want uh, to elect people. But when you're in a constitutional convention, everyone that I've researched in our national history the people who go take it seriously. The people who go and participate in a constitutional convention understand the gravity of what they're doing, and they certainly don't want to put out a product that is denounced and rejected by the populace in a vote. So I think that the, right. the caution is a, a little bit overblown, and it's not like the legislature. This is, this is something where we're crafting how we're going, the charter document for how we're going to govern ourselves, and just like in 99, when all the powers that be spent you know, millions and millions of dollars, and those of us opposed to raiding the PFD were able to defeat them 83%, uh, I think that that's the sort of thing you'd see with the election of delegates and working on the Constitutional Convention. So it's a matter of trusting the people and answering the question, are we in a state where some fundamental things need to be changed in our Constitution? And I think the answer is yes. And will that fix the problem? I mean, you're talking about the constitution of the state and everything else. I mean, upholding the federal constitution versus the state constitution. Are there other things that you see that need to be fixed in this at a concon? Well, I think I think that the selection system for judges right now, the bar association has a special uh, a special little spot in the constitution where they privately get to appoint three of the seven members, and there's a it's I uh, my wife serves on that on that judicial council and so I, and observing it for the last uh, 30 years, I don't think it, it ends up with the best result. And I'd like to see it uh, done differently. There are only two states that, that nominate judges that way, Missouri and Alaska, and Missouri's working on changing their plan. And, you know, we don't appoint federal judges that way. We don't, most other states don't appoint judges that way. And there are the issue regarding our educational system, the constitution, convention in the 50s set something up based on what they had experienced in the 20th century and in the 21st century as a lot of people have learned during this covid panic era there are a lot of different ways to educate students and uh, you know our eight children were educated in homeschooling in christian schooling and in public school and it depended and they went off some went off to the military some went off to liberal arts colleges some went off to abtech some are still trying to figure out what to do, and <laughs> it's it's a matter of creating as many individual choices as possible, and and uh, our constitution doesn't allow for that. So right. there there are some those are some of the things that need to be done. I uh, I you know I, I watched this last session and and I thought about this a lot. You know we saw this. Uh, Fiscal Policy Working Group come together, a diverse group of people. I mean, from from all sides of the spectrum. Uh, both sides of the aisle, both chambers, some of the most progressive and some of the most conservative uh, uh, people, they came together and over the course of you know ninety something hours in just a, a short period of time, they were able to come up with a with a plan. Uh, they were able to come up with a plan and with a unanimous decision that it needed to be tackled holistically. That you couldn't take pieces out uh, in isolation. That you had to be able to uh, create this plan. Included in that were some discussions on, you know, hey, look, we could do a South Dakota-style tax. We could uh, increase the taxes on the oil companies. We could do some cuts. That was kind of the final consensus when it went over. We had to do a little bit of everything, and yet none of that was brought forward in the legislature by leadership. 
things that were discussed were discussed in isolation, which the fiscal policy working group said don't do. What is your take on that? And if you, you know, if you were if you were in there and you were making those decisions, what would you have said and would you have brought that to the forefront? Well, I find that I was shocked at how successful the, the working group was in coming up with a plan that the various factions in the legislature could support. I was surprised and impressed that they did that. And I am disappointed that the that plan has not been brought forward through a committee process and brought forward to to a vote. It just is one of those things, again, you set the stage, you say this is what we're going to do. The public participates, the legislators participate. A lot of blood, sweat, and tears goes into a, a product and making a compromise that this, they thought the situation demanded at that time, and then it's not brought forward through, and it's it, it's wrong. It sends a message to the people there's no point in being involved. It uh, it drove poor uh, Senator Shower practically uh, half crazy with with frustration because he put so much effort into it to work on compromises. I've listened to him and greatly respect him, and, and it's just he's one of those people you're just glad step forward to serve in the legislature. And then is uh, increasing level of frustration over the way things work. And I, I really would, if I'm elected, I certainly want to work with Senator Schauer to pull that team together that we can, we can actually get some of these things voted on, considered and voted on. Um, I want to, uh, and, and and I think leadership is the issue here. Um, I think leadership. In the stalemate that we're viewing now, it can all be laid back at the feet of leadership in both the House and the Senate um, with the inaction and things like that. And, of course, your opponent is uh, is in the leadership and is the leader of the Senate. And so I'm going to give you the last uh, couple minutes here to make your case. You know, what differentiates you from your opponent? Um, and, uh, you know, if you had been in these situations and what decisions would you have made differently I mean, how can you know? Are you the, you know? Are you the same birds of the same feathers, or is there something completely different? Uh, give us the last elevator pitch here on uh, why they should vote for you versus your opponent, and what makes you different. Well, again, I don't I don't really know who the opponent opponent or opponents are going to be until June first. Sure. Well, yeah. I mean, we're all hypothesizing. I mean, it's it's hypothetical, but we know that Machiki currently holds the seat, so that's what I think a lot of people are estimating. Well, I think I think that a closer working relationship with the with the governor, a a very experienced um, knowledge of who all these legislators were. I was involved when Senator Stedman. I mean, I wasn't involved in his appointment, but I've known him. I was involved in Donnie Olson's first campaign for the state senate. I've worked in the legislature off and on uh, over many many years, and have a good personal relationship with most of the legislators. And so there's a there's a different sense of calm purpose. What's in the Winston Churchill? Stay calm and carry on through. Uh, and we're not like we're facing World War II, right. but we're we're facing some very difficult circumstances. And I know some, that the people who've gone through all this testifying and have been asked to testify for six years now on the permanent fund dividend probably do feel like they're being asked to storm the the beaches at Normandy again and again and again, and. We need we need to respect that and make this happen, and that's a, a skill set that I bring. I have also ten years working in management at Matlisk Electric Association, and three and a half years on the as a commissioner of the Oil and Gas Conservation Commission, regulating the oil and gas fields. So I bring a lot of experience and uh, knowledge 
that I will bring to bear on making our legislature more functional and also focused on getting its work done on time. A lot of these housing issues that you were talking about in per diem extravaganza has to do with sessions that go on for 200 days a year instead of for 90 to 120. Right. Well, I mean, and and we've already, and that's the thing, ignoring the statute and and immediately assuming that we're going to go out to 120 every time. I mean, I think that's what people, you mentioned it earlier, it's a threat to the republic when people start to, uh, you know, the, the, the government and our elected leaders start to ignore the law. And uh, and and we're just supposed to take that in stride and say that that's all that's all okay. Uh, unfortunately, it's it's not. Tuckerman Babcock, you can find him at Tucker TuckermanBabcock.com is his website coming soon, and you can find him on Facebook, Tuckerman Babcock for State Senate. Uh, Tuckerman, thanks for coming on board this morning and joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you, Michael. All right, hold the line for just one second, folks. We are going to continue tomorrow, Firearms Friday. Live well, be kind, love one another. We'll see you then. All right, one final bite at the apple because that's what, that's, oh, Tuckerman didn't hold on for the bite at the apple. Okay, well, that's fine. All right, well, that does it for today. Uh, I mean, I would like, I'd like a little more strident support. I'd like a, not strident support. I'd like a little bit more strident reaction to show the differentiation between Tuckerman and Machiki. And I know Machiki may or may not be in the race or maybe somebody else, but he's the one we know. And I'd like to have, you know, he's kind of the yardstick that we're measuring against. I would like to have some more uh, salient points. I'd like to have some more, you know, things uh, to differentiate between Tuckerman and Machiki. I think that's important. Um, but we'll see. We'll see what's going on. I mean, at this point, changing the player seems to be important. And obviously, uh, Peter Machicki, a hell of a nice guy, not getting the job done that I think needs to get done. Uh, and so changing the players out becomes more important than ever. But we'll see you, uh, we'll see you tomorrow, I guess. And we'll, uh, we'll chat again then for firearms friday i'm excited about that thanks for coming in the michael duke show common sense liberty-based free thinking radio have a great day my friends
We've shed our terrestrial radio skin, and now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show.